um, we're with you. We're working our way through the letter of James. He pulls no punches, uh, and tonight is no exception. You'll see the heading uh, in in my version of the Bible anyway, Taming the Tongue. We're, We're thinking about words, words of life, speech. Uh, So let's read. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by human beings. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Short word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word inspired by your spirit. And we pray, as James was packing a punch back there, back then, we pray you too would speak to us. We pray for conviction, clear and pure. And we pray, Lord, for inspiration and release to re-channel and direct our lives, and particularly our speech, in ways that bring life. 
Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to work through this passage sort of fairly systematically. Uh, Chapter 3 here, starting with verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Gulp. I'm not sure. I I think James has in mind here um, people like me uh, who purport to teach God's word and God's life. But I, I, I don't think it's just me. And I think in a sense all of us. Uh, teachers, let's spare a thought for those who are uh, teachers in full-time education. Uh, it's a big day tomorrow. Um, welcoming back all the children uh, and young people. Many of them are, are anxious. Uh, many people have been emergency teachers um, in the last few months. Parents, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, and, and those of you who don't have your own kids or put children at home, but I bet you've got nephews or nieces or godchildren, or there are people who look up to you and read your life and hear your words. So in a sense, this is all of us. And James kind of wants to go on to talk about our speech. So just a little roadmap on where I'm going to go this evening. Uh, I'm going to look at the power of our, I'm only really drawing out what James has here. He just talks about the power of our words. He talks about the uh, corruption and the poison of our words. Our words can be so good and yet so often they do so much damage. Uh, he talks about the inconsistency that is part of the human heart and actually to get to the heart of the issue, which is the issue of the human heart. And, and then what's What's the way out of this? What has God done to enable us to speak life that we might, and that end that last verse there, so uh, in peace to reap a harvest of righteousness? Would that we were the kind of people, this was the kind of community that was known for its harvest of righteousness. So the tongue, this little muscle in our heads, that is so disproportionately powerful. And then James uses these two analogies and you can relate to them well. The uh, analogy of a, a, a tiny bit of metal in the, the, in the mouth of a horse uh, controls the whole animal. I, have a, I, I confess I have a little bit of a thing about, about horses. I'm, um, I, I've got a little bit of a fear of them. It, it's, a, it's a kind of... I was a young person, I was at a football match, it was when I was a student in Birmingham, I went to an Aston Villa game, and um, it was in the days, this is in sort of the 80s, when um, there was quite a lot of crowd trouble and, and there was tension around football games, and I think this, this police horse, it's a big horse, um, I mean we're not talking little sort of polo ponies here, uh, and it got a little bit spooked with the, these rival fans that were trying to, the, the police uh, 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 the police officer on, on the horse was trying to use the horse to sort of steer rival fans away from each other. And I guess I was probably just in, slightly in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this horse, I could tell the rider was, the, the police officer was having trouble kind of controlling the horse. And it, it, it suddenly sort of reared up on its hind hooves. And, and in trying to control it, the, the officer's got to sort of spun it round. And for a moment, and I, I, I realise in the, in, in the moment, I probably exaggerated what was really going on, but I, all, all I could see was this massive hoof that looked like it was coming straight down on my head. I, it reared up as I was kind of channeling past it. And I could smell, I mean, the, the horses have quite a distinctive smell. It's a it, very vivid thing with me now. And I just really freaked out, because fortunately it kind of, it kind of zoomed down. And as its hooves came down on the ground, you could feel the ground shudder. This is a powerful animal. 
And, and oh my goodness. And yet, although that officer was probably struggling, this, this extraordinary animal with such power can be controlled with a tiny bit of metal. Or, or a, a huge ship. You, you think about these um, great sort of 17th, 18th century galleons that sailed across the oceans. Um, you know, bilious sails uh, full of powerful oceanic winds, strong currents, and yet perfectly possible to navigate a precise course, even with all that powerful elements around, by a proportionately tiny piece of the ship, the, the rudder, but it able, enabling the ship's captain or the pilot to steer a course. So too, James says, our tongue and the power that we associate with it. How good is that to have something so small with such disproportionate amount of influence? And, and we remember, don't we, in, in the story of God's people, how we came into being, how we came about. Genesis 1. Out of nothing, God creates the world in which we live. And, and how is it described as this act of creation? God speaks. God said, let there be light, day and night. God said, let there be land and sea. God said, let the stars hang in the galaxies and the universe. God speaks uh, creation, uh, fauna and fauna around the, the, the world in which we live. God speaks our existence into being. Think how creative, how powerful, how imaginative, how literally life-giving God's words are. And later, uh, God's people are reminded through the law of Moses that human beings do not live on bread alone. Obviously, we need to look after the physical element of ourselves, look after our bodies. They are themselves a beautiful gift from God. But, but human beings do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As God spoke creation into being, God speaks our existence. He, we, we live through his Word, Jesus comes as the embodiment of God in human form and he is described as the word, the speech act of God. Words are so powerful. When I was a young, relatively new Christian and uh, an older brother in the faith, I'm so glad that he spoke um, radical candor lovingly into my life. Uh, I guess I've always had a, an ability to be relatively sort of quick-witted. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not claiming to be intelligent necessarily, but I, ju I just seem to be able to have a sort of ability to, to, to say stuff and, and, um, in the moment. And uh, unfortunately, I used to use that more often than not, that, that ability to put people down. I'd, I'd come up with the kind of the, the one-liner that could just subtly put people down in, in a way that was a, sort of thought to be amusing so other people would laugh and it, it, would, it was an insecurity on my part. It would, it would kind of bolster, make me look quite good, but at the expense of others. And this brother had kind of spotted that. He was, he, it was a masterclass, really. He just said, Tim, you, you're quick-witted quick guy. You, um, his, uh, so that was very funny when you said, said that. He said, I wonder how so-and-so felt. 
And I wonder how it would be if you used the gift that God has given you to fill that moment to be the first to build up rather than take down. It was such a, it was a little less than a minute, such a timely word. How, how powerful from that brother to me. And although it was a little bit painful to receive at the time, like all of those words in season, actually that was so good. Uh, I've, I've tried, not always succeeded, but I've tried to use whatever eloquence God might have given me to encourage others to build them up. Words are so powerful. Our words are so powerful, even to ourselves. I, I have a habit, and I don't know whether this is yours, I, I think I come across a number of people who just privately to themselves will speak themselves down. I, I, I can find myself saying, you know, when I, I mess up or do something, it's just fairly innocuous. I mean, I've got to put the wrong code in on the, on the, on the photocopy or something. I mean, something really innocuous. And I'll just say to myself, oh, you idiot. I, I'm not. I'm not. And I am a child of God. I, I, am, I am a remarkable creation. I am loved by the Father. I, I've made a little mistake on the photocopier, but that doesn't make me an idiot. What, what am I saying to myself? What am I speaking over myself? We have words of life. We're made in the image of God who spoke creation into being. These words, this tongue, tiny, but it has disproportionate power for good. Isn't that incredible? I mean, just a moment. If you, you know, if you want to just dial out of what I'm saying just for a moment, just, just to think about the opportunities you have this week to use this little thing to bless yourself and to bless others around. The power of the tongue. You can feel there's a but coming, can't you? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, James kind of lays it out. He doesn't pull his punches because notwithstanding the power of the tongue, he, he goes on to describe, doesn't he, in verse 6, verse 8, how, how actually our, our tongue, figurative of our, of our speech, it can equally uh, do so much damage. And, and I guess each of us know that too. Verse 6, uh, the tongue is like a fire. It corrupts the whole person. It's, it's not, not just about you, like a physical muscle in your head. It's about your yourself, your, your character, your, your persona, it can bring you down and bring others down. Or verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. We can tame all these first seven animals, birds, reptiles, we're amazing human beings. And yet we can't even tame this little muscle in our head and, and all that it, it represents. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. And I guess if you think about words in the public sphere, the, the proliferation of words since the internet, and I, I think of, of Twitter in particular, I wonder if James was writing this letter in the 21st century, whether he would actually talk about tongue and whether he'd talk about tweets. It, it's sort of innocuous, isn't it? It's sort of, um, it sounds so wonderful. I mean, you know the, the icon for Twitter is that lovely little bird, little white bird with a lovely blue background. A little fluffy, lovely plump little bird. It doesn't get little tweets. It's just a little tweet. 
And yet if I say Twitter to you, what's, what is your, what's your sort of like word association? What's the immediate response you, you have? My, my bet that it wouldn't take long before there's fairly negative, damaging connotations to, to Twitter these days. Uh, Twitter storm, outrage, uh, lynch mob. People, people talking about literally being lynched. We see, don't we, in the 21st century, we see the, the, the potential, sadly, that we have to, to damage. I, I mean, I, I seriously don't get it. As a, as a football fan, as you may have gathered, so I go to the games, and all over the um, Craven Cottage, the home of Fulham, but, but all, and, and many other grounds, for many, many years now, they've had uh, kick racism out of football and the anti-racism campaign, and, uh, and to a large extent, it's been, I think. Well, I, I, was, sorry, I was going to say, to a large extent, it's been, it's been successful. Certainly, I'm, I'm not aware of, of overt racist comments um, publicly when, when we're in person, when there's stewards all around. But Twitter, you can hide on Twitter. You can just send out your little anonymous words on Twitter. How is it that black players are getting these unbelievably talented footballs way better than anyone at football, anyone sending any of these tweets? They're way better than that. They make one tiny error. Maybe it leads to a penalty or a goal. And they are, they are stormed, lynched on, on, on Twitter. And it's not about their footballing ability. It's to do with the color of their skin. What, what is going on? with the way in which we use our tweets to bring such damage. I, mean, I, I think about this, it's really, why is this so toxic in the 21st century in, in, in our lives, in our culture today? And I think it's because exactly that, they probably wouldn't say that in person, in the stands. Because the, their words are connected to themselves. I, I heard and saw that word come actually out of your mouth, you sitting there. But, but I can hide on Twitter, I can, I can, there's, a, there's a disassociation. And yet, when you're on the receiving end of the words on Twitter, you still carry, they still convey the association of they've come from a person with a heart, with a character, with a soul. That's, that's why we find it so offensive. It's not, it's like, it's like, it's like grenades being lobbed in, landmines being detonated. I, just, just as an aside, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this today, uh, particularly just off feedback from, from this morning, and um, there's, there's maybe quite a lot to develop on this uh, by way of conversation. Pick it up in your life groups, and this is a good reason to be part of a life group, to say, oh, I don't think I'm ignoring on that. Let me just, I'd love to work that through with someone. But, you know, I think we are living in a culture here where more and more people, and particularly over this last year, where we've had to rely on social media, we've had to rely on the technology because we haven't been able to meet in person. And, and yet, when we look at the toxicity of the way in which we communicate online through examples I've just given, People are desperate to connect. They're desperate for, for real communion. And, and we as the church, particularly when we pay attention to passages like this, particularly when we pay attention to the way in which we speak life over one another and amongst one another, we can provide a, a real tangible community for people who are aching to belong but feel kind of ostracized and, and, and nervous and anxious about engaging with the world through technology. 
That's why we're so excited to begin to meet back in person next week and to begin to imagine what the, the, the sort of new normal looks like. We're not going back. We're never going back. But as we, as we progress forward, here is a vision arising out of engaging with passages like this. Here's a vision for, for us to, to gather around. What kind of community might we be that speaks well, speaks truth and love over one another. The kind of, kind of um, correction that I received earlier as I've just been speaking about, but that affirms and encourages, that builds up. Who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? That's why uh, in the public sphere, but also personally in our, in, our, in our own relationships, that's why God puts us into families or households. Into uh, we, we have small group communities, you know, that life groups or prayer triplets. That's where we practice speaking well to one another. Joe jo and I, my wife and I, we, in our marriage, in our home, raising our children, we, we just tried to pay attention to, to the way in which we spoke to one another. We'd, inevitably, we'd be bumping up against one another. Uh, we'd irritate and antagonize one another from time to time. But we, we tried, for example, just to discipline ourselves, never to say, you always, dot, 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 or you never, dot, 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 in a, an accusatory tone. You know, you never pick up your socks after you've come in from playing football, or you never uh, stack the dishes in the dishwasher. Because although it may feel like often those kind of things didn't happen, it was never, never, it was never true. It was never completely true. So we weren't speaking truth. Occasionally, the children or even the husband would stack the dishwasher or tidy bathroom or, or whatever it was. So we, we tried to take care with our words, to practice in, in our sort of smaller intimate units, using our words well, releasing one another through the way in which we speak with such power. So that, so that we can, when we've practiced in the small unit, then in the larger community, we've, we've created a place where everyone would want to belong and flourish. Why wouldn't I want to be part of a wider church family where everyone is practicing, thinking about the way in which they speak well to one another? thinking about building back better as a community. And if we've practiced, you know, uh, you, 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 make me feel, you make me feel depressed, or you make me feel, no, no, no. When you say that or do that, it makes me feel. It's taking care with the way in which we, we, we value one another without condemning them or, or imprisoning them or, or holding them down. But just paying attention to what's going on in our hearts and what's going on around us and using our words to release life. Because James reminds us that if we don't pay attention to our tongue, it's, it's like poison. It corrupts the whole body. It can do so much damage. This morning, as part of the sort of fun activity, uh, we, um, Hannah, she's so creative, I don't know where she gets all these ideas from, but uh, we had, she got Will, who was leading the service, she had a big block of wood and a hammer and a nail, and she just asked Will to, to, to bang the nail, and Will's a dab hand at DIY, he, he'd, he'd smashed it, literally, and the, and the nail went in, and Hannah said, how, how did you find that? Oh yeah, easy, Will said. Okay, she, Hannah said, can you take the nail out? And it was a claw hammer, and so uh, he, will, he, knew, he knew his, he, he could identify, he knows a claw hammer when, he's, when he sees one. And so he pulled the nail out. How did you find that, Hannah asked? Well, it was a little bit harder, a bit more intricate, a little bit harder, but he, 
he managed to pull the net out and uh, Hannah made the kind of association you know, we, can, we can bang words in and when we regret them when we, when we wish we hadn't said that we, we, can, we can retract oh sorry I'm so sorry but the third thing that Hannah asked Will to do is uh, holding up the block of words can you, can you remove the hole ah easy to bang the nail in relatively easy to take the nail out but can I fill the hole so we need to pay attention to this disproportionate power that we have that it doesn't corrupt and become poisonous but here's the thing uh, and James acknowledges this and actually it's a recurring theme in his letter that, that uh, not every word that we say is, um, is, is poisonous or toxic it's, it's actually a kind of inconsistency that James points out. And it's just been a theme through his letter. So in, in chapter one, he, he talks about the, 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 the child of God growing in faith, but they mustn't be double-minded. If you want to seek God for wisdom, don't doubt at the same time. The trouble is we, we seek God and we doubt. We seek God, double-minded. Or in chapter two, he, the, the inconsistency is around favoritism to others. And so he says, you show favor to this person, but, but not to that person who's equally made in God's image. Why do you favor that one, not that one? That's, that's an inconsistency. And here, you see in verse 9 and verse 10, he points out the inconsistency with our speech. With our tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And James is, is really pointing out, I mean, in a sense, this isn't about the tongue, is it? It's, it's, it's not the tongue that, it shouldn't be the tongue that rules the life. It's the life that controls the tongue. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. It's the health of your soul. It's, as he goes on to say, it's, it's about source. He talks about fresh water and spring water. Can you, you know, you've got a, a salt a salt, salty water source can't produce fresh water. And even if it could, that fresh water would become salty. It would become contaminated. So we, we need to pay attention to the source. He goes on about the, the, just giving that example of the fig tree bearing olives or the grapevine bearing figs. Of course, he's probably mindful of Jesus' teaching. James, was, we're fairly sure, was the brother of Jesus. He has sat under his teaching so much of... If you, uh, some commentators have done, done a sort of study on the letter of James and tracked it with the Sermon on the Mount and the number of references there are that um, sort of compare and contrast with the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, this teaching is in, in Luke as well as Matthew where Jesus talks about a, a, a good tree will, will inevitably produce good fruit just as a, a diseased tree will produce diseased fruit. You, you wouldn't get diseased fruit from a good tree and you can't expect to get good fruit from a diseased tree. And so it is here, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus teaches in, it's in Luke uh, 6, verse 45. Our words reveal the state of our soul, the state of our being. Maybe later on this evening you could just pause ahead of a new week as we continue through Lent and through the next year as part of our our, our discipline here to shape lives that make Jesus look good. We could, we could ask ourselves, how is my heart and my soul in relation to X or Y or Z? 
and Lord, can you get me to a place where I can play my part in speaking well the story of God as I live and work and have my being? Can, can my speech be disproportionately powerful for good because my heart is well? My soul is at peace. Final thing, what has God done to help our speech act? It's interesting, James, um, just in this last bit of the, um, of the passage, and it's under the heading that the editors have put in here, two kinds of wisdom. And basically James is talking about um, a, a kind of wisdom from the earth, which wisdom inverted commas, uh, because he talks about bitter envy, verse 14, and selfish ambition, as opposed to wisdom that comes from heaven. That, that wisdom that's sort of full of ambition. And it, it, interesting, I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder whether James was reminding himself of the story of Babel, Genesis 11. And what's interesting there is that all the people at the time were described as having a common language. They all understood each other. And so in their wisdom, James would say selfish ambition, they decide, let's build a tower. Let's build this great big monolith tower to just show how amazing we are. It's all about us. And God knows that the way he's created us in order to worship him, that's how we'll thrive and flourish. You can see this is not a good idea. He comes down and destroys the, 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 the tower and he confuses their language so their speech does not make sense. And that curse of confusing the, the language and therefore putting an end to the selfish ambition is reversed at Pentecost. Now, now James has been talking about a, a, a tiny spark that can create a fire, that can destroy a forest. And at Pentecost, it wasn't a fire that came from earth, it was a fire that came from heaven. How did the Holy Spirit manifest himself amongst those early believers? Tongues of fire on their heads. And what did that release? Speech. They spoke in different tongues. Different tongues enabled by the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Other people could understand what was being said. They heard the praises of God in their own language. God has gone from the confusion of Babel to the inclusion in Acts 2. He's bringing in all these different peoples who formerly haven't understood themselves. Now there is a speech act that unites them and points them to God. And you and I are part of that great story. You and I have the Spirit of God living in us, the fire from heaven, the wisdom from heaven that cleanses our soul, that washes our hearts, and that releases us to speak well, to speak life, to speak power, to speak conviction, to speak truth and love into our contexts and culture. And when we gather together as, a, as, a, as the people of God, we can practice that. Don't waste the opportunity of meeting together and paying attention to one another's heart by praying for one another. In due course, we can lay hands on one another. Not quite now, but in due course. And to, to pray for the Spirit to come, that wisdom from heaven, that fire that cleanses, that enables us to speak well. And as we practice that in our groups, we release it in our church community. We, we will see transformation in this community, in our culture, in the world.
James is speaking to us. God's word is speaking to us. Let those of us that have ears to hear, pay attention. Take it in. Let's pause for a moment. I'm going to invite Dan, Charles, Lucy up. Amazing that God has created us with such potential. And we, we, we just look around, we can see just how much harm can be unleashed through our words. But, but at the same time, look at what power we have. Look at how we can be agents of transformation to ourselves. Speak well to yourselves. I, some of you may be watching uh, on the live stream and, and those of us in the building here. Well, we've just slipped into a pattern where we, we talk down to ourselves. I'm only, I'm just. No. Shoulders back, <laughs> chest out. Speak to your soul and to one another. Opportunities to speak well of one another even when they're not listening, behind their back, let's practice a healthy heart that lives well in secret to the audience of one because we're much more likely then to speak out blessing when we see people face to face. That we determine to be part of a community here whose speech act brings life. Come, Holy Spirit. Wisdom from heaven, fire that cleanses. Fill our hearts. Fill our soul, refine our spirit, release our speech as part of our worship, our work, our living for your glory. Amen. Amen. As we continue to just linger in God's presence, Dan and the guys are going to lead us in, in sung worship.